Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. According to a report from PEN America, and PEN is an acronym for Poets, Essayist, and Novelist, if you've read a book in one sitting in the last year, chances are another book was banned before you finished the one you were reading. According to the PEN report, a book ban was enacted in an American school district every three and a half hours between July 2021 and 2022. And it's happening in Kentucky also. Our topic on Think Humanities today, book banning. What is it? How long has it been going on? And what, if you want to do something about it, can you do about it? Our guests are Mary Taylor Huntsman, who is a long career library associate. She's 28 years uh, as an academic librarian in Uh, many fields in Kentucky uh, schools and uh, universities. Uh, She's also a a longtime member of the Kentucky Library Association and also affiliated with the Academic uh, Librarian Association. And also joining us is uh, Andrew Adler uh, from Georgetown College. Andrew is the Assistant Provost for Library and Learning Resources at the Insor Learning Resource Center at Georgetown College. And he is the current president of the Kentucky Library Association. And we're uh, welcoming both of them to our Think Humanities podcast uh, microphones. Uh, First of all, let me just uh, begin and ask uh, both of you to talk about what is, uh, why are we discussing this in a way that it almost becomes, uh, uh, seems like it's a trend uh, in fact, uh, preparing for the Think Humanities podcast today and having on National Public Radio just this morning, there was a story about book banning, and it really caught my ear. Um, it was uh, a story that they repeated from October, but it was still there, and they felt uh, strongly enough, I guess, to air it again, and they did. So it's a topic that uh, we've heard a lot more about in the last few years. So um, let me just start with you, Andrew, and ask you, uh, why are we involved in a uh, an America today where book banning is something that we're dealing with? Well, I uh, think that a lot of it is, is that people have obviously their own opinions, their own views of what America should be and the values and beliefs that we should embrace. And sometimes they come up against certain materials, be it books, be it podcasts, movies, whatever, that don't align with those. And so they take efforts and lead efforts to try to take those things out of circulation. Uh, they they couch it in very very much terms of you know american ethics american morals american beliefs and you know and obviously again america yeah i'm a history i'm a historian 
America has always been this challenged idea is what we are and who we are. And those conversations have been going on. Um, but I think a lot of it is, is that people see this as a possibility and a way in which to share and I don't, I don't want to necessarily use the word impose, but that's the word I'm going to use. Uh, there are certain beliefs and ideals onto the culture at large. Mary Taylor Huntsman, what are the um, alarming trends that you've seen over the the years that you've been involved in libraries, libraries associations, being involved in the in the public libraries as well as academic libraries? What are the concerns that you have? Well, right now there's a very focused effort by a religious group targeting specific genres of literature and recently i watched footage of a library board meeting up in michigan where the librarian had this very impassioned moment because the group were calling them groomers and pedophiles for not immediately removing the things they perceived as filth, quote unquote. And um, she said, I go to church. I've known you all my life. How, how dare you equivocate me with that? And there have been threats of violence against librarians and library staff. So, you know, and we have the First Amendment auditors, too, who are a lot of fun. Um, they come in and challenge the staff and film them. So, you know, this is it's not new. We studied this in library school. In, and in my case, that was the mid-90s. And ALA has maintained the list since 1990. It's publicly available. But this is not new. The Index Prohibitorum Liberorum of the Catholic Church was active until 1966, and now individual material decisions are made by the local ordinary. But I have friends who went to conservative Catholic schools who did not read a lot of the stuff that in public high school we read, um, like Of Mice and Men, which we had to have a permission slip for because of the language and the sexuality. Um they didn't read it because it was on the index. The faculty still enforced that, although it was officially let go after Vatican II. And it goes back to 1529. So there have actually been banned books lists since 1529. It's just that recently the violence and the vehemence and just the consistency because this group has actually circulated a list and a game plan to these folks. So, you know, the plan of attack is, is very organized and very incisive. And some people are taking it to violent extremes. It's it's kind of scary. What uh, to, to one of you, um, Andrew, why don't you take a shot at this first? What exactly is a book ban when we hear books being banned in a, a school or public library, whether it's uh, uh, public or college or university. What, what are we talking about there? 
So uh, to build off what Mary said, it's very much this concerted effort to just remove the book, you know, to not have it be accessible by the patrons at a library. Um, you know, a lot of times it a challenge precedes it. Uh, a lot of times, you know, uh, the ALA, the American Library Association, they keep that running list of books that have been challenged, and then they all have their t- their top ten list for the year and of all time. And they and have a have an office that deals with that and nothing else. The Office for Intellectual Freedom. Yes, yeah, the OIF is. If you ever run into this situation where you are at a library and the book gets challenged then you turn to the OIF for help. Um, But again, it's just the idea of trying to censor materials that people do not agree with, that they want to have removed for various reasons, be they their their religious reasons, their, their own view of morality or ethics, and wanting to take those things away from others. And so, so again, you get challenges and then typically goes through various, if it's a school, then it goes to the school board. If it's the library, uh, Mary mentioned the library board because public libraries in the state of Kentucky are subject to uh, oversight by library boards that are appointed by local governments. And I'm sure we will, we might touch on Senate Bill 167. Uh, yes. Later in this podcast mm-hmm. uh, in conversation uh, about how that has changed. And so that board and those boards uh, hold a lot of sway. Uh, obviously, they control, they have the power of the purse in a lot of ways. Uh, and so a lot of times they will have those open meetings and those open conversations like the one in Michigan that Mary mentioned. And those can become quite heated. They can become quite tense. Um and then, you know, decisions are made if the book will be banned. Uh, sometimes it means that the book may be removed completely from the library or it becomes like, again, the thing that you can't talk about, the thing you can't see, the librarian may have it at the desk. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, it's, well, you got to go talk to the librarian to get it. So we talked about, um, religious uh, background uh, i would imagine there are also social uh, interference and, and political uh, you mentioned senate bill 167 and we'll get to that in, in just a moment let me you also referenced michigan what what has happened in kentucky that you are aware of when it uh, when we're talking about uh, removing a book from a library or at least let me ask you this andrew when a book is banned, uh, the the pure definition of uh, of of b a n n b a n n e d is to completely take it out of circulation, if we will, when we're talking about uh, a library. Uh, some are, I understand, in other parts of the country, are placed in a different section of the of the library, whether it be a public or a school library. Uh, which is not a total ban. Are, are there examples in Kentucky that you know of uh, that you can cite uh, where these uh, incidences have, have occurred, either one of you? There was when I was actually in high school. This is the earliest one I remember um, in Covington, one of the schools 
banned the book by William Faulkner, As I Lay Dying. Hmm. Um, and we were all shocked because we read Of Mice and Men, we read Anne Frank, uh, we watched the movie of Romeo and Juliet that is now under debate. But my teacher had a folder that she would put over the lens, you know, so we didn't get to see what's in dispute now in that. But, um, you know, I remember that clearly because it was the 80s and we thought, what is this? You know, the Victorian era? Geez. Um, and we thought it was stupid, but it was something that really happened. Um, and personally, I'm aware that there are some public library systems in which silent censorship is practiced by the staff, which means that you order things and they disappear. They are checked in. You know, the invoices are checked off, everything. It may even make a record in the collection, but somehow it's permanently missing. And where it's missing is somebody's desk or a shelf behind their desk. Hmm. Um, because it's easier to say you ordered it and have it be missing than be confronted by a, a constituent population that would be offended by it. Is a librarian or a staff member making a making that decision on their own? Yes. Mm -hmm. And that is a violation of our professional ethics, by the way. Uh -huh. Very much. Is yeah. it uh, is it always an organized group? Uh, and by the way, I, I wouldn't imagine that even an organized group would have to have a child either in school or uh, holding a library card. Um, some of these organizations, uh, as you've uh, termed them, uh, are just outside agitators, are they not, who have maybe been given a marching order by someone from another state like Michigan and are trying to promulgate uh, that type of uh, practice in in their own state like Kentucky? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yes. It's scripted. Yeah. So it's a movement. We're definitely seeing the rise of that. I'm sure that the talking points that were used in Michigan were probably some of the same ones used recently in Clark County, uh, where there was a recent book challenge to the book uh, uh, Gender Queer, uh, which is becoming one of the ones that are that you start to see frequently on challenged and banned book lists, um, which Clark County, their board voted to uh, restrict it to the adult section and put a restriction that no one under the age of 18 can check out the book uh, without their parents uh, written or verified permission. Uh, the library director there did um, stand uh, did stand against that. Uh, she was quoted as saying that she could not, that she did not want to restrict books in the library, that she could not do it. Um, and basically the idea where her quote leads to is that it will never be one book that it's kind of, again, this we've seen the floodgates kind of open. And so what's next? Um, you know, there are other counties within the state have seen recent things like Bullock County uh, Anderson. last year. Anderson. Yeah. And uh, Anderson actually has a former colleague of mine on their board and 
he was very much active in that debate and there was a big spike around the summer last year because june is lgbtqia plus plus um pride month and libraries did displays and anderson counties was a challenge of the display as well as all of the materials and it was it was a group and it got pretty hostile at one point what, and I mean, what, you know, what was the outcome in Anderson County? They retained the materials, but they took down the display, I believe. Andrew, do you remember? I believe that is correct. I mean, you know, you still see the same thing. You know, this is kind of getting away from the banned book topic. But, you know, a lot of times um, some other recent things that have been going on with public libraries, public libraries in the state have been. Uh, promoting things like Drag Queen Story Hour, where they have uh, drag queens come in and read. And, you know, there have been a lot of challenges and a lot of uh, uh, outpouring of vitriol, uh, mm -hmm. to put and a word on it. DQSH, just there are drag story times that are not part of that, but DQSH is actually an organization. And they are coming in a lot of times as having booked a community room in the facility, not at their behest, but mm -hmm. because their public meeting policy permits it. Um, and, you know, you're getting the screaming pedophilia mm -hmm. groomer throwing stuff yelling stuff mm -hmm. cohort uh, dq sh uh drag queen something story show. hour story, story hour. hour okay story right. hour okay um well uh in the clark county situation i, I would uh, assume that if a if a parent or an adult or guardian in in the home wanted the child to read that material he could check he or she could check that out for the child and in that way uh that gets around the ban is um, obviously correct that would work and people do it and also new york public library has offered their online collections to young adults and teens who would like to register for one of their cards online because their public libraries in their hometowns may not collect or may not make available to kids under a certain age uh -huh. specific titles. And that that has been huge. That was a major undertaking for them. And it just blew my mind, knowing all the licensing and everything that goes in with that. You know, and kids will find a way whether the library lets them or not. And, you know, we don't want the parents to be bent out of shape or hostile toward the library, but kids are kids. They'll, they'll figure it out. They'll find a way to, to, uh, to read the book. Right. Um, and it will probably, in fact, I've read uh, anecdotally, I don't have the information in front of me, but some of the books that were uh, not uh, at the top of the, the list of bestsellers have become instant uh, sort of overnight successes because of the uh, sales that uh, just the the banning of the books have uh, have created uh, the the list that uh, that pen america uh, put out of the most banned books does include uh and mary you said it uh 
a lot of them are themed toward uh, the LGBTQ uh, plus uh, community. Um, a Gender Queer is one of those, uh, a memoir. Uh, the uh, book that I was referring to and uh, the author that I heard on NPR uh, this morning, uh, All Boys uh, Aren't Blue by George Johnson, but then there are uh, the others are Lawn Boy, Out of Darkness, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, uh, which has been around for a, a long time, a number of years, uh, Beyond Magenta, uh, and, and the list goes on. Um, what can concerned school districts, uh, uh, parents, uh, libraries who want a protection of of the First Amendment and of of uh, the freedom to read and to choose and to learn and to grow from uh, these books uh, do when they hear of a protest uh, in their local community? Andrew, number one, show up. That's I think that's the biggest thing. I think that a lot of times the the loudest voices are sometimes in the minority. I think that the majority of people don't support censorship like this. They do not. They see it again as an attack on the first amendment. Uh, and I think that if people show up to support uh, librarians, teachers, and others who are advocating for these books to be included in, uh, in the curriculum, to be available to those who want to access them. That's the biggest thing that people can do is show up and advocate and stand against those who are advocating for these challenges and bans. And then again, uh, you know, we've mentioned it, the office of intellectual freedom, ALA, they have a lot of materials and a lot of help that can help you with that because I know a lot of times we've had this discussion within the Kentucky Library Association uh, because we, you know, part of our role is to also serve as the advocates for intellectual freedom within our state. Um, but a lot of times people, people ask that same question, Bill. They're like, well, what do I do? How do I do this? Because a lot of times you feel like you're on an island. Well, you're not. There are definitely people out there that will help you. Uh, we encourage people that know that that's that these challenges are coming to reach out to us. We have an we have a board, uh, a, an active board, and we have a committee that is focused on library advocacy, and that is part of the Intellectual Freedom Network. And we will work with you to do what is needed to to help you stand against these challenges. Mary, what could you add to that? Andrew nailed it, but I think one of the things that people can do, aside from showing up for meetings and getting involved in that, be advocates for your library. Model the behavior that you want to see. Get your library card. Encourage your friends to get library cards. Come to the programming. Bring your children participate actively with the library and advocate for it generally and its value um, because there are people who just don't understand it don't want to understand it you know but we need people to 
demonstrate that libraries have value and that they are a positive good and a positive force. Um, and a lot of times we get folks who aren't library users who start these measures and they're, you know, they need to be countered by people who actually know what we do and who are engaged with us and actively utilize the things that we provide and participate by asking us to buy certain things or, you know, do you think you could do programming on X, Y, or Z? Um, so get involved with the library just on the daily to show people that it's useful and purposeful. All right. I've got a couple of other final points that I want to uh, talk with you about, uh, and we'll do that. Um, but as uh, you know, we have a, a wonderful underwriter who cares a lot about writing and um, a, a lot about uh, uh, the freedom that authors and writers and poets uh, practice uh, each and every day. And they believe uh, very much in their soul fervently in uh, the freedom to do so. And that's uh, the writing program uh, at Spalding University. They're our underwriter for our Think Humanities podcast. And we're going to pause now and hear a few words about them. And we'll be right back. At Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, where writing for TV, screen, and stage stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Andrew, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned uh, Senate Bill 167, uh, which uh, was a Senate bill uh, uh, vetoed by a uh, past. Uh, the House and the Senate vetoed by the governor, but then overridden uh, uh, by uh, the legislature and uh, did become law. What did it uh, what does it say? So Senate Bill 167 is uh, it's related very much to library districts within the state of Kentucky um, and deals with terms of library board members and also the appointment of those bo uh, board members. Uh, it allows the county judge executive within the counties to have a lot of power over the say of who's going to serve on that board. Typically, the state librarian offers uh, names to the various judge executives. And in the past, they have kind of, I don't think necessarily been beholden, but they typically have, have taken names from that list. And that's where the board comes from. So the state librarian and the Kentucky Department of Libraries and Archives do a lot of research, do a lot of work to give these names to the judge executive. What Senate Bill 167 does now is that the judge executive can completely ignore those names and kind of appoint anybody that they want to those boards. There are certain um stipulations and requirements for those board members. They have to have an advanced degree 
uh, an associates or above. There has to be a relative balance between if you, you know, the urban parts of your uh, county versus the more undeveloped areas. But it does give a lot of power to those county judge executives to tailor make those boards as they see fit. And again, as I mentioned earlier, those boards have a lot of power when it comes to the library because they control the power of the purse. They control decisions if they if a new director is uh, being hired, staffing decisions. And then, as we mentioned in Clark County, they get to vote on book challenges. And sometimes their values don't necessarily align with the values of the librarians that they are overseeing. And it uh, more or less, um, uh, for the first time, politicizes the the process when there's really no need for that to to occur. Very much, it is. It was it in in the debates. That is one of the big things that librarians came about. Is that you know libraries have always espoused our neutrality and our commitment to free speech, free expression you know freedom to read freedom to think the way that you want um within reason uh but also you know that libraries are and should be in a lot of ways apolitical organizations and this definitely does not em embrace those values mm -hmm. and beliefs mm -hmm. and is there anything anyone can do about that now it's it's in statute. It is. It is now part of law. It went into effect January one. Uh, so I believe uh, the way I read that bill is that every every library board member's tenure ended January one, and so now everybody is going to either be reappointed or new appointments will be coming. So in a lot of ways, it's still new. Uh, so we have not seen fully the impacts of it. Uh, but I will let Mary also uh, join into that and get her thoughts. With the current supermajority in the General Assembly, we will not be able to overturn it anytime real soon. So if you are someone who opposes this kind of political interference, get out and vote. I mean, you need to vote regardless of how you feel about anything people need to vote it's people who are not voting in droves that are allowing this to happen <laughs> um i i am closely conversant with one of the people who was involved in that measure and i was not very happy about it and left several messages on voicemail in frankfurt about it and didn't help but i tried um, but if, you know, if you oppose some of these appointments based on this law, you should contact your legislature mm -hmm. legislator and tell them, mm -hmm. um, because it is not, it, it's a participatory process. They are there at our pleasure. And even if they don't agree with you, mm -hmm. you get to tell them what you think, whether they like it or not. So, you know, I, again, be involved get involved it was not being involved at some level that kind of allowed this to bleed through and 
you know, this is going to lead to stacking of these boards, unfortunately. Uh, you know, if you're being pragmatic about it, that's that's what's going to happen. So buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Let me ask you both uh, a, f- a final question uh, about uh, content um, uh, of some of these books and the advice that you have for if a parent uh, came into your library, if you uh, in a or a middle school, uh, either public library or school library, uh, and, and wanted to uh, wanted their child to be exposed to society in a way that they understood and could intellectually digest what is going on in our world today, but didn't want them to be offended in any way by either language or action that they might see in in one of the books. Uh, I've heard, you've heard, you've cited uh, name-calling that some of the librarians, some of the other parents that have stood up for the libraries have been called pornographers and pedophiles and and that sort of thing. How do you get away from those kinds of labels uh, with with language that is contained in some of the books that is just as true and just as uh, stark and just as honest uh, with what's going on in everyday life? It just happens to be written down on the page where someone could read it um, and somebody doesn't want their child to read that so how do you go about explaining to a parent the best way to educate a child um, and teach them whether it's the teacher the librarian or the parent uh, that that these books are are okay it might surprise you shock you uh, but but it's a learning process what what, what do you say to them the thing that runs through my mind and it's not always good to verbalize in the moment is well have you read it parents are the best judge of what they want their children to consume and don't come at the teacher the librarian the school board whatever if you have not actually read it and you know i've I said earlier of mice and men, we had to have a permission slip because there is SA, there is violence, there is language, and our parents had to agree to allow us to read it because our teachers felt that there should be an agreement in place. And if your parents objected, they would quietly give those students something that they knew did not contain those elements that was of equal merit. And they did their reports separately on whatever the neutral title was. And we did that with many, many things throughout our lit courses, too. Um, But, you know, I my mother was a journalist and. I grew up with this whole idea of freedom of speech, freedom of thought, but my folks weren't like screaming liberals, but mom's policy was if I could understand it and I could read it, I was free to read it. And 
you know, I, I had my school librarian object to my reading Gone with the Wind in the eighth grade because there's a word in it, Ritz departure from Scarlet. And she thought that was terrible. And what's funny is her sister was my English lit teacher in high school. And she's the one with the folder covering up things in Romeo and Juliet. Um, But I said, call my mother and ask her. And mom told her the only reason she's taking yours out is that she'd have to have a ladder to get to it on our bookshelves. And I don't want to haul it out of the garage. So, you know, it's up to you. But I have read it and I don't object. Boy, have we come... um come far from that uh, that era although i'm sure that's still around too andrew uh, what what would you say to my question about uh, about uh, parents I, and and what they need to know i would again mar- uh, echo mary on that to say have the parents read the book and tell them that they can read and if they choose at that point that hey yes my child is ready to read this then go ahead but if they are well, I still have some reservations uh, for that, and I don't want my child to read this book, then speak with a librarian. Speak with a child or child or young adult or teen librarian, because there are books at every level that are addressing these uh, issues that we are discussing and that are that we are seeing being at the forefront of some of these challenges that are written for age levels in mind. I mean, again, I've you know, I have two small children. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. She'll be four in April. We have read books on their level that engage some of these issues uh, to, as you said in in your question, Bill, to mm-hmm. introduce them to the world, to not mm-hmm. shelter them, uh, that these things happen and that these things are ongoing and that they need to understand them. Uh, you know, I grew up and somewhat of a sheltered way uh again i mean my parents were not overly they were fine with what i read and everything else but you know i grew up in a very rural area in the state and did not have a lot of interaction with you know african americans members of the lgbtq plus uh community you know there were some in my life but Until I really got to college, I did not really have a lot of interactions. And I don't want my children to have that. I want them to understand. And I think that is part of the answer to your question is that this is the world they're going to grow up in. (laughs) And so do you want them to have an understanding and to be those empathetic people and to understand and engage with, with groups that aren't like them? Or if they have questions about their own self-identity, do you want them to have a way to answer that, but also someone that they know they can come and ask about that? All right, that's Andrew Adler. He's the uh, provost, uh, the assistant provost for library and learning resources at uh, the Ensor Learning Resource uh, Center at Georgetown College. He's also the president, uh, current president of the Kentucky Library Association. And We've been joined by Mary Taylor Huntsman, a longtime uh, uh, academic librarian, uh, very involved in uh, libraries across the state of Kentucky, and uh, also a longtime member of the Kentucky Library Association. Uh, thanks to you both for an enlightening conversation and uh, bringing us uh, up to date and what to watch for uh, in um, this year and in uh, years to come on uh, book bans and 
uh, the politics that seem to be uh, in the library now. Um, I, it's a libraries are wonderful, wonderful uh, places to to be, and I just uh, I can't imagine uh, as a small child uh, spending so much time in a library and ever thinking uh, that uh, there would be controversy or politics uh, in the Mary Wood Weldon Library in Glasgow, Kentucky. <laughs> um, but uh, you know what? I haven't checked in with them lately, and they're probably having as as much uh, difficulty as uh, as as the rest of the libraries in the state. So thank you both for uh, joining me today, and uh, good luck to both of you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Bill. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.